everybody, and welcome to a special Steve. A oh, this is special Chris. A special Jew and Gentile podcast. I'm your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish Jewish sage himself, Steve Herzig. What am I doing? I can't even get your name I out. Don't I'm know, so Chris, excited. I never do it, but boy, have I got a deal for you today. All right, what's the deal? The deal is we have two special guests because we have a program coming up at Friends of Israel, specifically in North American Ministries. We'll be going to New York. We'll be encountering a Shabbat. Hold on a minute. All right, go right ahead, Steve. Pick up where you left off. We will be encountering a Shabbat. We will be doing all kinds of neat things, exposing, encountering Jewishness for a weekend. And our two guests, can I introduce them? I would like you to go ahead and do that. They are sitting across from me, one with his legs crossed. He's the old guy. And one who is sitting on the edge of his seat, he's the young guy. <laughs> you can right. tell. One guy's been here a while, and they, a long time, and the other guy, he is just so excited. Keegan from Washington State. How are you doing, Keegan? Pretty good. Been nervous, but it's a great opportunity to be here. Yeah, he's nervous. There's nothing to be nervous about, Chris. We have, what, three people who are watching or listening that's right it's you know not not too many no don't say that about our listeners we got some great listeners we got great listeners tuning in from all over but not only do we have keegan but we have our very own director of program ministries uh, mr bruce scott with us hello bruce good to see you hello it's good to be with you i am so glad that you're here um bruce you've been with friends of israel for just a few years right uh, about 33 and a half. <laughs> uh, just a short time. He's, he's new to the block. In the Bible, that's nothing, you know? So, I mean, yes, uh, Bruce, we're so glad that you're with us and you can be a part of our podcast. Really quick, everybody, before we go ahead and get started and we talk about what's going on with Encounter, um, I'd like to first remind our listeners that the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip, um, where we want to teach the Bible from a Jewish perspective. And we know that's very important to do, to unpack the Bible from a Jewish perspective. Chris, June 16th. I am very excited. Lorna Simcox, who wrote the book, The Search, who is our editor-in-chief of our magazine, will be coming for three consecutive Thursdays and sharing with us her search, really God's search for her. That's right. And how he found her. And we're so thankful for it. Yeah, so uh, starting June 16th, FOI Equip, you can go to foiequip.org, and there you can log on and you can register for free, Steve, free. No money down, no monthly payment, nothing. <laughs> no easy payments? No easy payments. That's interest right. rate, 0%. That's right. There's a 0% interest rate. Way to rate. go, Keith. I know. That's I right. like that. That's exactly what it is. It's free. Um, and we want to invite you to be a part of it. Uh, it's Lorna Simcox, the editor-in-chief of Israel. My Glory is going to be sharing about her per- personal testimony and, um, and, and ways that we can learn how, you know, how she came to the Lord, the experiences that she had, how, how believers influenced her life for the Lord, and how we can kind of take uh, lessons from those as we minister to our neighbors, to our Jewish friends. Um, and so that's going to be Lorna's class. It's three weeks. It's called The Search, Lessons on How to Share Your Faith. Uh, June 16th, free. You can register at foiequip.org. Chris, we've got to tell people how they could get digital IMG. I use digital IMG all the time. It goes back now to the 1970s. Yeah. We can get any magazine if they just go online and pay for, I'm not exactly sure how much it costs, 
but it's worth it. Yeah, this it is. Cost, this gives you from 1979, I believe, till the present, every single Israel My Glory magazine. In fact, we're going to be doing the temple, and I went back and researched some of the old articles that Friends of Israel had on the Millennial Temple. Just a wealth of information. Just yeah. an amazing thing. Um, I believe they can, uh, if, if they wanted to get a free subscription, I think for a year, if I remember correctly, they can go to israelmyglory.org and get a digital subscription. The greatest thing, like you said about that, is that they can get 40 years plus of amazing. Israel My Glories. There's plenty of Bruce Scott oh, articles in there. Oh, we got a lot of Bruce Scott. We've got a lot of Steve Herzig articles in there. We've got plenty of articles from our from our expert staff um, who are writing on the issues uh, uh, concerning the church, concerning Israel and the Jewish people, um, encouraging words, words of, uh, um, you know, of uh, remembering what God is doing with Israel and the Jewish people, all biblical. It's an award-winning uh, Christian publication. You can go to israelmyglory.org for that. So, well, Steve, you know, I thought um, we would give a moment for Bruce. Oh, we give him more than a moment. I know. Maybe we should take a vacation here. We can shut <laughs> our yappers off. I we could sit back. I got some green tea here. We could turn it over to Bruce, who, by the way, is a soft talker, people. He is a soft talker. <laughs> Uh, well, but just, that's okay. What, we is, got it, what does that up. mean? A soft talk. A soft. You see, you're coming in clear. You raise. It's the mic. It's in the combination yeah. with you hearing soft talker. It got the adrenaline it's going, it. and yes. you belted it out. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He when he Bruce is. He's got a a, a lot of passion, and I'm going to tell you something. Anytime I'm around Bruce. Steve, I'm always learning something. He always. is a wealth of information my and mistakes. knowledge. <laughs> Bruce, you, you uh, Bruce has taught me so much about Israel and the Jewish people. I used to be an underling under him when uh, he led the origins groups, our young adult groups. You were to a Israel. gopher. I was his gopher. I, I brought gopher up the rear. Oh, he was more than that. a gopher. You were more than a gopher. I brought up the rear. But, uh, that sounds like a title of a book, more than a gopher. <laughs> That's right. He was. Well, Bruce. I'm That's gonna his t- next book. I'm going to turn it over to you, and you. Uh, why don't you share about encounter? What encounter means to you, and what it means to the Friends of Israel as well? Okay, encounter is a program that we launched last August. Uh, we've had two programs to Israel for a number of years since 2007, really, of taking volunteers to Israel and interacting with Israelis and serving them, but uh, we didn't have anything here in North America. So last August, we launched something that we called Encounter, which is a short-term ministry trip. It's really only five days, but we wanted to establish something where believers could come and learn about Jewish people, uh, encounter them, mm-hmm. encounter Jewish history, encounter Jewish culture, uh, make Jewish friends. Uh, we do that by going to a number of different places and uh, experiencing and meeting Jewish people and, and meeting new friends. That what way. places are you going to, Bruce? Well, uh, tomorrow, which is our first day of this group that's just coming in today, we're going to New York City. We're going on a Jewish walking tour in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn, very Hasidic uh, area. So we're going there, and, and it's a three- to four-hour tour. So we're going to be... You'll be getting a lot of steps. We'll be having a lot you of steps. Lot of steps in. <laughs> and we're starting off actually in the, in the home of the tour guide. 
And uh, he says he's going to have some pastries there and some fruit. And then later on... Oh, this is very personal then, too. I mean, he's starting off in his home. It's not like he's starting off at the business correct. site. Wow. It's no, home. we're starting in his home. They were going at some point to a Jewish bakery where, where I think they're going to give us a free rugelach, uh, <laughs> which is great. Looking forward to that. What is that for our listeners? Because to, they might think that's some like disgusting sounding thing, but it it comes from a bakery. It's not... You know, no, it sounds like I. The best way that I can describe it, and I'm no baker, is think of a croissant, mm-hmm. and there's nice sweet stuff inside, and maybe sugar some on outside. top with some jelly. Well, say, yeah. say that again. How do you pronounce that? Well, rugelach. We pronounce it rugelach. So you see, we already have a battle. The battle. Aren't of you? The- aren't you? Because Bruce, your wife Janet, she's Ashkenazi, right? Yes, that's right. And you're Ashkenazi. I it's am. the battle of the Ashkenazis. It's the battle of the Ashkenazis. <laughs> so. You get two of us together, you're going to get five pronunciations. <laughs> that, and I, I do think that's always funny, even when you talk to Israelis. I mean, the way that they you, you pronounce things, it's always different. Yeah. The other person's always wrong. So, sorry, Bruce, I cut you off. Yeah. So we're experiencing that, however you pronounce it, and Zagazunt. Uh, Live and be well. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. So we're that wasn't me, except it was me. That's right. We're going on a, that tour, and uh, then later on in the day, we're going to go to Katz's Deli, famous Katz's nice. Delicatessen. Oh, that'll be great. And then we're going to go tour a uh, an, a historic synagogue in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. The Lower East Side is a very historical place. A lot of uh, Jewish people immigrated there between 1880 and 1920. Really an important area. And then also during Encounter in the next few days, we're also going to go visit a another historic synagogue in Philadelphia, uh, the oldest synagogue in North America. And we're going to uh, attend their Shabbat service on Saturday. I love watching um, Keegan right now as you're talking, Bruce, because it's all unfolding in front of Keegan. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's almost like you're opening the package for him. Yes. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. We're going to... We're going to cats. Wait, we're we're going to the oldest. It looks like Keegan that excites you a little bit there. Every time he says something, you kind of have a sparkle in your eye. Definitely, I've read the itinerary yeah. and uh, I tried to actually remember the itinerary. I even bought him an, an umbrella and sunscreen purely because they were mentioned above the <laughs> yeah, itinerary. Yeah, Keegan's kind of pasty, so <laughs> very much <laughs> he so. burns easy. Well, he's I from can the tell. he's from the northwest, yeah, so it, that's uh, right. But the, some of the details, like the the oldest synagogue. In North America, I had no idea. Um, and as soon as you mentioned whatever that um, pastry was, I thought, well, that's It's rugula. It's rugula. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, well, that's going to be an adventure. Wonder what that is. Yep. Yes. <laughs> well, now you see you're getting a little taste, no pun intended, beforehand. But uh, Bruce, why don't you continue? Share, you know, kind of the – there's some uh, volunteerism connected There as well. is some volunteerism where – we always look for different ways to serve the Jewish community. Last year we did this, and we're doing it again this year. We're working with um, the uh, Jewish Family Services and their Holocaust Division uh, for Holocaust Survivors. So we're putting together some gift bags for the upcoming Rosh Hashanah holiday, which is this fall, okay. but we're helping them put together gift bags for them. And um, they were very much appreciative of what we did last year, and we're excited that we contacted them, and they want us... To help them again. We're not putting any fruit in those bags. No, no, no okay. apples this year. Okay. That, okay. They wouldn't look That'd be good. a problem. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's about three months away. Exactly. So, <laughs> Bruce, uh, you know, this is something encounter. So they're encountering the Jewish community. If any Christian 
has ever wanted to know deeper about the Jewish culture, Jewish customs beyond reading a book. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of giving them an opportunity to uh, engage and to uh, encounter the Jewish world. Right. And, and uh, you know, Steve and I were talking about this a couple of um, a couple of episodes ago. You know, the second largest Jewish population outside of Israel is right, almost right here in this corridor that we live in, oh, yeah. the north, the northeast. Uh, and so w- why would it be important for a Christian to encounter the Jewish people, their culture, their custom, all of that? Well, probably most people who listen to this podcast already have an interest and a love for Jewish people and for Israel. Yeah. Uh, but meeting a Jewish person, befriending them, serving them, uh, there is an another level there. You You deepen your heart for them. You learn to pray for them more. You understand where they're coming from. I always look at it also, and in fact, I communicated this to uh, the rabbi of the synagogue we're we're going to. One of the reasons why why we have this is that by encountering Jewish people, it helps to dispel any seeds of um, wrong thinking towards Jewish people Mm -hmm. or even anti-Semitism. I don't think most of our people would would have that, but... the stereotypical the stereotypes yeah. that people have of Jewish people, it helps to dispel that once you learn to interact with them and you encounter them and and they're wonderful people and you learn to just love them as God loves them. Mm. So it's it's a wonderful opportunity that way, That's and it's great for the people who are Jewish who who are met yeah. because they meet Christians and some of them aren't that familiar with evangelical Christians, and so it's exactly. a mutual benefit. Well, the the tour guide of our Jewish walking tour in Brooklyn, he commented to me, he says, you are an amazing organization. Uh, we're very excited to work with you. Oh, we want to keep him busy. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I want to yeah. keep that guy running around all We want to invite long. him down to do a podcast. Oh, that would be great. We want to talk to him and yeah. t- we want to give him a tour of the property. We'd like him to see who we are. We'd like to give him a subscription to Israel My Glory. Yeah. Put him on the podcast. I know. He we, ain't seen nothing I yet. know. I'm <laughs> telling you, if he's taking you to his house, we can at least bring him to our office. <laughs> That's you know? right. And his father is a rabbi. Is he really? Wow. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Aren't we all? <laughs> oh, I want to keep this. I, I actually, I honestly, I really do believe that there are a lot of Christians that would love the opportunity to get a walking tour in the... And we're talking about Brooklyn too, Bruce, so maybe we should define that a little bit. Brooklyn is the beehive of uh, Orthodox Judaism. I mean, you feel like you leave America a little bit when you go into uh, into Crown Heights, Brooklyn, because it is very much all Jewish culture and customs and Orthodox as well. Well, uh, there's a great story that I think you ought to tell. I don't know if, Bruce, you want to tell it or Chris, that was told to me. Uh, We had registration for Encounter. We had a recruiting time, and people responded, and it's great. But somebody from, I believe, Bridges, or maybe our Encounter class, uh, said, I want to do this. And so they live in Brooklyn, and they (laughs) have never been to the Jewish section. I'm going to tell you, it was great. Tell, tell the story. It's amazing. Oh, amazing woman. Maybe she, her, she's listening right now. Her name is Janice. She was in our FOI equip class for Israel and Prophecy. She came to the Bridges um, interest, in, meeting. interest meeting. And, um, you know, we got to talking afterwards. I like to hang around and talk with our the people who come and are a part of our FOI equip classes. And I said, Janice, where are you from? She goes, Brooklyn. And I go, 
Brooklyn. I said, we're going to be in Brooklyn soon doing a Jewish walking tour. And her face lit up and she goes, I want to go to that. You know how that'll help me like break out of my comfort zone. I've lived in Brooklyn. I've never gone to Crown Heights or maybe she's gone through it, but she's never stopped and engaged with the culture there. I am so excited about that. She's and so uh, Bruce. She's got I think and a friend coming as well. She invited a friend, so a friend is is coming. Also, a friend so, of a friend, a friend of a friend. <laughs> so the word gets out. But no, we're glad to have them, and um, it's going to be an exciting tour. This is actually our first time with this particular tour. Uh, well, Bruce, agency. it's only the second time. But, but, <laughs> but who's? It's who's not like we have a long list of places. But who's counting? <laughs> who's counting anyway? And already it sounds amazing. That's right. So, but we're looking forward to it. We think it, it'll it'll be awesome. But I'm glad you mentioned Bridges because uh, Keegan is a graduate of our Bridges internship program, mm-hmm. and um, this is like the next step for him. Yeah, Keegan, want- what what did you have to do under Bruce? What were some of your assignments that you had to do as an intern in Bridges? Well, a lot of it for me ended up being. Um, learning and reading uh, and becoming more knowledgeable on these sorts of subjects. So for me, this is getting to put some of that into practice and to continue learning. There were a few assignments that involved um, like trying to go to a synagogue. But if you've been to the um, Northwest, you're probably familiar that there are like maybe three Jewish people out there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe give or take a, a couple. But um, So you live far from Seattle or far from Portland? Yeah. Far- you're in a more rural area? Definitely. I'm on the exact opposite side of the state, about as far as you can get from Seattle and Portland. So yeah, you're closer to I. Is it Idaho? Is that what yep. you're pretty close to? Yeah. Uh, Idaho is about five minutes drive from my apartment. Yeah, our actually. people aren't really into doing any kind of manual labor or we're we're not if that's not a big city we're we're not into farming unless you live in israel we're not talking about that today we're not we're not really into any of that so maybe that's why so you're going to be overwhelmed with all the jewish people and experiences you're going to have what a wonderful time yeah the first um the first few experiences of people who really were actually practicing or um Orthodox Jewish people were um, from a couple months ago when I was on an anti-abortion outreach. Uh, we took um, we partnered with the other major anti-abortion um, Christian groups around North America, Canada, the west side of the U.S., east side, central, um, and we kind of coalesced on New York City. And I was with uh, another Christian outside the Trump Tower, and two Orthodox Jewish guys came out, and we ended up getting to talk for a while. But I wasn't as familiar with the background of Isaiah 53 in order to adequately defend it when they brought up, well, it's actually talking about Israel. And granted, uh, I obviously understand that it's not, um, that that it's really, of course, it applies to Israel, but it's talking about Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. Um, But it, it, it was one of my first experiences, and it's like, well, I'm not quite sure where to go from there, but I really respected them because they actually knew what they were talking about, and that's something that not enough Christians uh, can say about themselves. Is Keegan, we are weak on apologetics. Keegan, you know what I like about you is um, that you're willing to listen, and I really think that's a big part in sharing our faith with anybody is the willingness. To, you, you're you're passionate. I can hear it. You you definitely take stances on sensitive issues as well, um, but it's amazing because sometimes those hot button issues can become uh, issues that force people into uh, the, their corners. And I can, and, and you know, I've known you for a little bit from a distance, though. This is the first time we're interacting together. And, 
you know, I just love hearing that you were willing to listen. And I'm sure that that eases the tension for such a sensitive subject um, uh, like Isaiah 53. But it, it, you, you said, OK, I, you know, I don't know all the answers, but um, I'm willing to listen. And you know what? That is a very good quality to have as a as a as a believer. And I, I want to commend you on that. Um, that quality of being able to listen and to say, you know what, I don't know, but I want to learn. I want to learn more, so I'm better prepared next time. So kudos to you, my friend. Thank you. It, uh, by God's grace, it ended up being a really good discussion. I haven't met them since, but um, there's an, uh, a Jewish man from a different section of New York that has continued reaching out to me since. So it's it's there amazing you. to see how God works. Amen. I love that. That's great. A lot of it is, as we talked about in Bridges, is not just. Your goal isn't just to win an argument. Mm-hmm. Your goal is to exhibit the love of the Messiah, mm. the compassion of the Messiah. So how you come across is as equally important, I think, as what you say. Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%. Yeah. There's some people in the anti-abortion movement who, say, who, who are able to say the harshest things, but because of how they say it, uh, it, it's still a productive conversation. They were able to do it in such a way that presented the gospel and the hope of Jesus Christ. And sometimes these women break down in tears and they, I've seen them shift their stances on abortion, even when um, the hardest things, the things that a lot of us would say, well, no, 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 don't, don't say it that way. Don't tell them that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's amazing how God can work. That's amazing, Keegan. Oh, well, Bruce, did you want to add anything else uh, for Encounter? I just hope that, um, it, you know, there is a way that people can access, uh, uh, you know, if they want to contact you. Maybe you want to share your email. If somebody's listening and they want to find out how they can get a hold of you to sign up for the next Encounter coming up, um, how can people reach you for that, Bruce? Uh, the best way to reach us in regards to signing up for Encounter and sign up a, a fill out an application is to contact our administrative assistant, Faith Zelke. Yeah. Her email is F Z I E L K E. Faith Zelke. Faith Zelke. F Z I E L K E at F O I dot org. And for our Canadian people, it's Zed. Zed. <laughs> That's right. Sorry about that. We do have Canadian people. Well, we have, well, yeah, we have Canadian listeners, so they need to know that. That's, they need to know we know. That's, we know. Because That's they right. tell us. F. About the process. F Z I E L K E at F O I dot org. That's great. great. Bruce, you did a great job. That's great. Well, Bruce, uh, Keegan, I hope that you stick around. Um, we're going to open. Yeah, we might call on them again. I know. We're going <laughs> to be actually looking at um, uh, Ezekiel. Um, and this idea um, of a millennial temple, Steve. Well, yeah, we want to talk about, you know, I was thinking about Ezekiel. And and there's other passages as well. That's oh, where my yeah, brain went But to. I was thinking about Ezekiel because, and I can't tell you I've been meditating a lot on Ezekiel in my life. <laughs> but I have been thinking you about You don't do it. your devotions from Ezekiel? Well, no, I have. Do, yes. you know, do you know that Ezekiel is the uh, prophet and the only other book in the Bible that uses Leviticus. There's no other book, or I should put it this way, there's no other book in the Bible that uses Leviticus as much as Ezekiel does. So if you've got that heart for Leviticus, then you'll love it. But, you know, not a lot of people even go do devotions in Leviticus. No, no, I I, I understand. When I think of Ezekiel, I think of really a center on the Spirit of God. I think of uh, Jeremiah as God the Father and Isaiah 
God the Son. Yeah. If you if you read them broadly, that that kind of is it. But when I when I think of Ezekiel, the beginning part is the glory of God and the power that just drove him down to worship God. And so, yeah, you do devotions in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Those are very powerful. But then in chapters 9 and 10 and 11, the Spirit of God leaves. Yep. It's the, he had an encounter first, similar to Moses. You know, Moses encountered the burning bush. You know, take your shoes off the ground. You're standing as holy ground. I think we, we miss out on sometimes a very cavalier attitude. I'm speaking of myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. Very cavalier to the living God. Well, you read Ezekiel, you know, you got wheels going all around, lights flashing, the power of God manifests. And so at the beginning of the book, the Spirit of God leaves, and it's a sad kind of thing. It's But it, we're going to talk about this temple, the glory returns. And the glory comes back. The glory comes back. And we back. had talked about that in the in the series that we have been doing on the temple. We specifically tried to hide, you know, I think oftentimes, again, when you think of the temple, you go to those sacrifices, Steve, you go to the blood that's oh, on the altar. Oh, and we got a problem, Chris. There's Christians, what's going on in, in chapter 43? What are these sacrifices? Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. That's and right. We got issues. And, and you know Which what? I'm very comfortable we're, with we're, issues. That's right. And we're, that's the, that's the, we're going to take the Keegan approach and, and say, you know, at least me, I'm always come at that with humility. You know, I don't have all the answers for that one, but there's some great suggestions on, on what it means. And, maybe, and we do have Bruce here who has definite opinions. Oh yeah. He, he has opinions and Bruce actually has the right answer, right, Bruce? On what? <laughs> what's the question? Yeah, what's the? I haven't heard anything yet. Well, the, well we're getting there. Okay, That's so, a lot. I know he hasn't heard anything. Talk about it now that encounter's he's done. A knife in me. He's like, how long, how long do I have to sit through these two? <laughs> That's what's going through Bruce's head. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but um, you know, we talked about the trajectory of this glory of God. The thing that makes the temple so important. It's not the blood sacrifices. That's an important part of it. But what gives it the significance is the fact that God's glory came down. God's glory came down into the tabernacle. God's glory came down into the temple. Then God's glory, Ezekiel chapters 9 through 11, the glory of God left the temple because of Israel's sin. Then we saw the glory come down in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, John chapter 1, verse 14. And then we see that through the work of the Holy Spirit, the glory is dwelling in us. We're walking temples for the Lord, serving him. Um, and just as Encounter's about to do, to go out to New York City tomorrow, we are walking temples of God's glory. And but Chris, Chris, isn't it interesting? I know we pointed it out. I think we should point it out again. Matthew 24, the glory departs again. That's right. He's walking out. The, he's incarnated, and they're all rejecting him. They, it's you never know what you have until he's not there. You know, I actually because of what we're talking about, I, I was having this discussion on our, our FOI equip class, and you know, the uh, the disciples say to Jesus when he's standing on the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter one verse six, they said, "Well, it's now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel." And it's funny because I was reading John Calvin, and he goes. Uh, something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says something like, um, 
it's so good to know that there's su- such stupid questions and such good such a good master you know something like that 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 even though you know the disciples were hanging around with the master for so long 40, 40 days in his post resurrected state he's glorified they still ask a stupid question like is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel and you know what actually when you look at the scenario in accordance with Ezekiel's path, uh, you know um uh trajectory it makes sense. Of course they would ask that question. They're standing on top of the mountain east of the Temple Mount, Mount of Olives. They're standing there with the resurrected, glorified Messiah. And they're asking the question like I think any Jewish person would have asked. So is this it? You know, here we are. We're on the Mount of Olives. The glory ascended from here. Are, is he coming back? Is this it? Uh, now's not the time for you to know these things. He didn't say no. He just said, you got other work to do. You got to go out and make the gospel known. But there's that anticipation that one day, because as they were looking up when the Jesus ascended into heaven um, and goes to the right hand of the Father, they're looking up and gazing, and the angels appear to him and say, hey, he's coming back the same way. The same way you saw him go, the same way he's coming back, which is in accordance with Ezekiel. Bruce, you look like you're chomping yeah, Bruce, at the bit Bruce over there. Bruce is doing a commentary on Matthew. I don't know if he's gotten to Matthew 24 yet, but Bruce, I know you have an opinion. Well, yes. Uh, <laughs> now I'm excited. You know, yes, he's coming back to the very same mountain for which he left. That's Zechariah 14. The Lord splits the Mount of Olives when he returns. But going back to their question, I would say, why wouldn't they ask a question like that? They had every right to have that expectation. And Jesus' response was not a change of the definition of the kingdom. It was just uh, an answer related to the timing of the kingdom. Yeah, He didn't say, oh, you guys, you've been with me all this time. You're, what a dumb question. Don't you know that the kingdom is not going to be a literal, physical, tangible, material kingdom on planet Earth where I'm ruling from Jerusalem that you see before you? Nah, it's a kingdom that where I'm ruling in your hearts and I'm sitting on this little throne in your heart and the kingdom is inside of you. Don't you get it? He didn't say that. He never redefined the kingdom. It was just a matter of timing. Yeah, and my, my point is that of all the places to ask that question, there they are with the glorified Messiah on the mountain where they were expecting the Messiah's feet feet to touch down. Exactly. Uh, because Zechariah actually uses very uh, definitive terms in relationship. It's not just God's presence in this, you know, ethereal concept that comes down. His feet, it says, touch down. So I'm sure they were sitting there going, oh my goodness, here we are. We're at the Mount of Olives. You know, so yet they're never a redefinition of kingdom talk because right. even Peter explains that in Acts chapter 3 when he says these are all these things had to be complete according to what the prophets of old uh, in the Old Testament, had had talked about. So why would Peter expect it to be redefined? He didn't think that way either. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, Bruce. Did, did you want to add anything else? No, I, I, that's it. I saw him. you. I, I'm, I, I see <laughs> no, you Bruce, out of the corner of my I eye. Could, look, I've known Bruce a long time. He's got a lot to say. I know. It's, I, he's he's got to have Too his own much. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve. So let's talk about this concept of the millennial kingdom. The millennial kingdom. First of all, millennial. Thousand years. I, I looked at Ezekiel. I, I couldn't find a thousand. Why do we say a thousand all the time? Did you see a thousand? I I, not, not, not in Ezekiel. I didn't, I didn't see it in Ezekiel. But I also, in Ezekiel, we saw in chapter 1 these, these uh, cherubim, these angels. And we see that in another book. And in that other book is where we find out it's a thousand. I mean, that's why we're calling it 
the millennium, mm-hmm. because that means a thousand. In Revelation chapter twenty, we we find out how long this beginning of eternity, if you will, uh, the start of eternity. It's it's going to be an interesting, you know, hodgepodge of things and people, and we're going to have angels. We're going to have glorified people. We're going to have regular people. Uh, we're going to have people who live a long time and people who, if they're not good, live a short time. Isaiah tells us that. So we have this millennium, and we have a place, even though the Lord Jesus is on the earth, there's going to be a temple uh, that exists for the purpose, really, of not believers in glorified bodies, but for the purpose of humans who will come to worship. In fact, the whole concept of will believers be worshiping at the Millennial Temple mm. or will they be in the New Jerusalem worshiping? Mm. Uh, I, these are some questions we have. Bruce, what, do you have an opinion Yeah, on Bruce, because you actually brought this up earlier. You mentioned Zechariah, so maybe you could speak into that. I, did you hear the question? Yes. <laughs> Which question? Wait, we, he, we just woke him up. He fell asleep. I tell you, once you and I get going, he's like, oh, and he's just saying, I, they're tuning me out. I'm forget about it. <laughs> All right, Bruce, I'm j- we're just teasing you. Yeah. Um, but um, in all seriousness, no, we're not teasing. Him. It's true. <laughs> it, it is, I'm as you had mentioned Zechariah earlier, so there is this idea that we will be worshiping at a temple, according to what the prophet Zechariah had mentioned. Yeah. There is going to be a rebuilt millennial temple with literal sacrifices. People will be coming back to celebrate uh, the biblical Jewish holidays. And in fact, those who do not come specifically to Jerusalem to from the nations to worship uh, for the Feast of Tabernacles, they're going to suffer judgment yeah. from God. Yeah. So the question that I get a lot is, well, who are these people that are going to be suffering? Steve mentioned, you know, somebody's going to be dying early. If you know, if they if they don't live to a hundred, then that's considered, you know, like you've died in your youth. Who are these people? And I thought all of us were going to be believers that are going to be in the kingdom. Well, we are going to be as believers now. Those of us who have believed, we are going to be in the kingdom as believers then. But I ask the question: if you read. Revelation 20, and it talks about the millennium, and then after the millennium, the devil is released for a short time, and he gathers this huge army from the four corners of the earth to make one last stand against Jesus. Yeah. Where does he get those people? Where does he get that army? Yeah. If everybody is a believer in the millennium, where does he get that army? Yeah, you'd think he'd be fighting alone at that point. Exactly. Yeah. I had a guy ask me recently, um, like, why why would God have curses for certain nations that don't um, come up for the sacrifices if everyone's believers, and that I think that stems from the same area. Exactly, mm-hmm. and it's because there will be unbelievers in the millennium. Everybody who enters the millennial kingdom enters as a believer. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom unless you're born again. So everybody who physically survives the tribulation period will go into the kingdom if they are believers. But those who have physically survived the tribulation period will go into the kingdom with their mortal bodies. Mm -hmm. They'll live longer, but they'll still have mortal bodies as opposed to us who will have, thanks to the rapture, have our resurrection bodies by then. 
So we'll have oh, our glorified man, Bibles. Oh, man, I'm waiting for that. <laughs> I can tell you I'm looking forward to that. I, I can, can tell you are. I, yeah, I, I am telling you I got yeah. aches and pains and stuff oh, you, you don't even know about. Bad. Oh, what about this? <laughs> what about that? So there'll be glorified believers there, thanks to the rapture. And there'll also be people who have their mortal bodies who will go into the kingdom from the tribulation period. But they will be believers when they first enter. But they will marry. They will have children. Yeah. And those children will also, like the rest of us, need to be born again. They'll have to be confronted with the gospel. They'll have Jesus Christ right there in person in Jerusalem. But they will still need to believe. But sadly, apparently, many of them will not. Bruce, can I? Uh, I want to keep it focused too, because we're talking about you, you, you can't help but tie the millennial kingdom in with the millennial temple. Why is a temple? I mean, I think this becomes a good question. Ezekiel gives very detailed information about a millennial or a king, a, a temple um, that will be built. Why is it important, especially now that Jesus has come, to have a temple? And I know I'm putting you on the spot for that, but... Well, yeah, the last few chapters of the book of Ezekiel are all about the temple and Israel being back in the land and the land being divided up among the the 12 tribes of Israel. Why? That's always a question, uh, and there are various uh, opinions about it. I would say that the most common opinion is that why are there sacrifices? Why is there a temple of... According to the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the final sacrifice. He's the final priesthood, all of that. Usually it's because uh, the answer is it's a memorial. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jesus is the final sacrifice. But all of these things uh, paint the picture. Just like when we had the communion service today. It's a memorial. Mm-hmm. We remember his death. And there's nothing more graphic about the need for a sacrifice than to see an actual sacrifice take place where an animal is is slaughtered on someone else's behalf as a substitution. So that's one reason, is that it's a, it's a memorial. You know, and Bruce, too, like, the, the idea, you would think we would be beyond the temple now. That's what, you know, I think that's where a lot of Christians go, is they read the text, they see Jesus says, you know, I'm going to tear this thing down and raise it up in three days. Um was Jesus saying no more temple at that point? No. He was saying, he was speaking of his own body. Yeah. It was when he was saying, you you know, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. That's his own body. The temple has to be rebuilt in order to fulfill a lot of prophecies. Yes. For one Ezekiel thing. being one of them. Exactly. Yeah. It has to be rebuilt. Plus, it's going to be the throne room. Yes. Of the Messiah. Yes. Uh, you think of this, the Ark of the Covenant, there was only one seat in the entire tabernacle or in the temple. I love this. And this is the mercy seat. That's right. And it's actually between the, the between the cherubim was where was the presence of God in the tabernacle. So Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is going to have this as his throne room. And uh, Psalm 24 talks uh, a lot about, I love how it ends ends it where who is the king of glory yeah it's this king of glory i believe that psalm the end of that psalm is referring to that time when that shekinah glory 
returns. And the person of the Messiah returns and sets up his throne in the temple. Let, let me just bring David Levy in here. Wait, we got him on the phone? No. no. <laughs> we, have a, we have him on uh, because of digital IMG. Yeah, let there me just you go. Good the, job, Steve. Let me just read this real quick because I think you can include this in your when you send out um, uh, whatever the link. Uh, he says this. The temple's purpose will be sixfold. It will exhibit God's holiness. Bruce talked about that, Zechariah 14. It will manifest God's glory, Ezekiel 43. It will be the Messiah's dwelling place. Bruce talked about that as well. It will be the location from which Messiah will govern earth from David's throne. And number five, it will provide a place where people will offer blood sacrifice to God and worship, Ezekiel 45. A house, a river flowing from under the threshold, chapter 47, verse 1, to the Dead Sea, providing life-giving water to vegetation throughout the Negev. So David comments that there's a six-fold purpose. And you can, you know, depending on who, which Bible teacher is uh, talking and, and what the Spirit of God has given him, we've heard from Bruce, we've heard from David. It, the, the reality is to those believers who say, as Bruce pointed out, it's all in your heart. All this stuff is just language that is, it, it's not real. It's not tangible. It's not something you can hold on to. Man, we would differ big time. All this is reality, real, and substantive. You know, uh, in, in Ezekiel chapter 43, I love how it kind of brings all of what happened in Ezekiel 9 through 11 when the glory left. It brings it all back again. You know, I, I always say the grace of God is seen in the Old Testament because in Ezekiel, God could have left and said, I'm done. You know, he could. <laughs> this is it. Oh, I'm boy, over. He could have. But yet again, in Ezekiel, we see over and over again, I, I've actually been doing my morning reading, Steve, in Ezekiel. That's, and, and it's always amazing that even I was reading through the, um, the passages of, of, of Gog and Magog and Ezekiel 38 and 39, and even at the very end of Eze- Ezekiel 38 and 39, there's the hope of a new covenant for Israel, the Spirit of God coming down, and a restoration for his people in the midst of all the, all the war and battle and fighting. And I just want to read this passage, which says this, that, um, starting in verse 1, uh, in, verse, in chapter 43, it says, The man brought me to the gate facing east. And now the last time we saw this in Ezekiel chapter 9 through 11, we saw that the last time Ezekiel was brought to the gate of the east, uh, into the temple precincts, he saw the, uh, the, 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 the Jewish people with their backs to the Lord and them prostrated, worshiping the sun. And that's when God says, I'm destroying this temple, I'm destroying Jerusalem, I'm scattering uh, my people abroad. He says, so the man brought me to the gate facing east in this new kingdom, or in this new temple, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. I love God's glory returning, a picture of this millennial kingdom, This, or I'm sorry, this millennial temple that will be built when God's presence physically returns. Bruce, were you raising your hand like you wanted to say something? I saw it out of the corner of my eye. Slightly. Uh, yes. One of the things of Ezekiel, you say that God shows, demonstrates his grace in the Old Testament. One of the things that always stood out to me when I read the book of Ezekiel is a repeated phrase, and I think it's over 70 times, if I'm not mistaken, where God says, 
and they will know that I am Yahweh. Yes. So the purpose that he does all of these things, even judgment, is so that they will know that I am Yahweh. God wants to be to be known. He wants to have a relationship. He wants to glorify himself and for people to know he is the only true God. You know, I think one of the greatest definitions to grace is in Ezekiel 36, verse 22, when God says this to Israel. He says, therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, or maybe your text says that I'm going to act. Um, But uh, for the sake of my holy name, I actually always think, here is God bestowing this favor upon his people that he is saying, you don't, this isn't because you're awesome. This isn't because you're good. This isn't because you're righteous. Uh, this is because my name, my faithfulness is tied to you. Therefore, it can't be undone. And so I'm going to act. And that to me is God's grace. The fact that he's going to act in us even when we don't deserve it. 100%. I have to be the bearer of, you know. Don't say it, Steve. We, We've got what? How much time has elapsed here? Well, we have a, we have We're double the amount of people here now. All right, but we will move to the news, though. Everybody, um, that concludes. No, no, no. You know what? Steve, oh, no, no, we have one more. We, no, we got to do another one. Yeah, we got to do Revelation chapter twenty-one. Keegan, you want to say something? Yeah, I've got a question. Since I'm in the presence of people who probably know more than I do on this subject, um, I'm a little late to it. But when to go back to the sacrifices thing, um, I had. Uh, I had the same person I was asking about, um, like, why would people refuse to bring sacrifices and there be a curse on them? He also asked, if sacrifices are just for remembrance, then why in Ezekiel 45 do, does it say, does it use the words for atonement? So It yeah. does use the word atonement. It does. No it actually question. says it's for guilt offerings and sin offerings There's unsaved well. people, as Bruce said, I think it is more than a. I think it is a memorial, but I think it's more than that. I think it is atonement. Mm-hmm. Um, it there is uh, making people right before a holy God when they need to be right because they are sinners. Yeah, and it's not for sin, but they need to be made right or holy or acceptable. Yeah, you know, I once heard this too as a as a. Um, an opinion or a way to kind of answer the question of the sin and guilt offerings and atonement that's associated in Ezekiel, given the fact that Jesus is our eternal sacrifice. And it was fascinating because uh, it said, uh, when I was reading it, it said, you know, there will still be immortal people. And if you remember when the temple and the tabernacle, tabernacle were built, a lot of times the tabernacle and temple had to be cleansed of the dirtiness of itself because we instinctively make the temple and tabernacle dirty because we are dirty people, we're sinful people, and therefore it rubs off on the things that are holy. That's what the the priest's job was, to determine the things that are holy and common, the things that are clean and unclean. And so, you know, a lot there, there was this one scholar that said, you know, I, I kind of look at it like this isn't an atonement for somebody's particular and individual's sin, but more the fact that there are still... Um, non-glorified people. There's still sin in the world, which makes the temple unclean, and therefore sin sacrifices need to be offered in order to purify the temple and make it holy again. That, another another potential opinion well, on the matter. you know, the bottom line is, Keegan's question is a good question, and even if we don't have the 
right answer. What The Lord knows. We think we have some answers. That doesn't remove the fact that there's a temple. There's a, There was a literal tabernacle. There was a Solomon's temple. It was reconstituted. Uh, there's going to be a tribulation temple. And all of a sudden, there isn't going to be, poof, an imaginary temple. <laughs> that just doesn't make any sense. The, the natural reading of the text, the dimensions given, there's going to be a temple. And yes, there's going to be sacrifices. Now, finding the answer to why we could have gotten it right, or maybe we still don't know, but the fact Still, the text says there is one. It gives the dimensions, and I think we have to live with that and try to find what that answer might be. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, would, I had a, a professor who told me it was his opinion, speaking of opinions, that the atonement was not for vertical purposes, mm. but horizontal purposes. Mm. Uh, sin against man, you know, whatever. So that's another idea. Yeah. And I've... I'm Bring also, them. Br- put all the ideas on the table. All That's right, what I've, we're got, doing. I've got one more if you, if you have time, and that is this. Was there ever a time in Israel's history when the law that God gave them was ever perfectly fulfilled? Hmm. Jesus Christ, of course, was the embodiment of that. But as far as performing the ordinances and everything that God required, was there ever a time Perhaps that might be the time. Oh, interesting! Great thought. Great, Great thought. Yeah, because all the law, a lot of the law, has to do with the temple and sacrifices and all uh, and all that. All right. So. Great discussion, gentlemen. Thank oh, you for being here. Our guests have been great. But we're not done yet really quick. Steve, what's going on in the news? Oh, in the news. Well, I took an old news item, Chris, because it just, it, it kind of, my brain, which is limited the way it is, is exploding because in August of uh, August 26th of 2021, the New York Times published a piece titled The New Chief Chaplain. Now, Chris, as far as I know, a chaplain is supposed to be a, you know, in the Army they have chaplains. You think of religious things. You think of the Bible. You think of Judaism, Christianity, Islam, whatever the a, a chaplain is. And at Harvard... Now, when Harvard was established as an Ivy League school, it was for believers. Uh, and it actually had a motto, truth for Christ and the church. The first 70 years at Harvard, the president was a cleric. He was a reverend. He was a uh, a minister of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, so here it says the new chief chaplain at Harvard is an atheist. <laughs> I, I just said, What? So I don't know if if Bruce or Keegan or you have I I just said what an he's in charge of all the chaplains and they have different chaplains. Yeah, it's not there. just Christian chaplains. No, no, Buddhists and uh, uh 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 Sikh and Islam and Catholicism and Protestantism and Judaism, but the leader of all these people doesn't even believe in God. <laughs> doesn't even believe I, I I just, I'm speechless, Chris. I, I'm just speechless. Uh, That's Keegan, you look like you have something to say. And so I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on the chaplaincy, even as it has been established, um, because I, I think atheists, while it sounds even crazier to have an atheist chaplain, they do believe in a God. They just believe that they are the God. Yeah, that's interesting. And actually, I think it raises a good question. You know, if if anything, you know, that chaplain can always just come in and say, Zygazun. Zygazun. <laughs> 
live and be well. <laughs> you know, he can just he can just say, I don't even believe in any of this, so go ahead, do your thing. You know, if he's managing, you, whenever you think chaplain, my mind always goes to a Christian chaplain. It doesn't go yeah. to, but still, yeah. it's absolutely mind-boggling that it's a, there's a chaplain that doesn't believe in God, he's an atheist. He's not even agnostic. You you know, he doesn't even maybe think there could be a God out there um, and doesn't want to define that God. But this particular chaplain uh, doesn't even believe in God, but he's managing his staff are people who, who do who do. So maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's good that he's gone. Ah, whatever. But the reality is <laughs> it's what? still awkward because of Harvard's history. Harvard. This is at. Uh, at a school that was, tra- I realize it's a long time ago, but t- this isn't even tradition. No. <laughs> this we is what a- those billions of dollars of endowments are going toward. That's right. Uh, it's just, uh, you know. Well, quite honestly, that's another issue, too, is that maybe those, in- there's a lot of, because of the money coming in, because of wanting to maintain a, a secular position on things, it's probably safer for them to have a chaplain that doesn't believe in God, you know. Then. Get rid of the word chaplain. Yeah, that's okay. Hundred percent. That's Quit a great redefining idea. our terms. What should his title be? Exactly. Just, uh, manager. The religious guru. Yeah, not. Yeah, that's right. I know Ooh. about all your religions, you know, yeah. but I don't know. I don't believe in any of the any of your gods. It's a fascinating conversation because I just think this is the direction of where it's an image of where our country's going. Though there Absolutely. are, yeah, there are all of these, you know, religions that are represented on Harvard's campus, but the guy who leads it all nah, i don't i don't i don't care well we had a yiddish word remember the yiddish yeah. word Feh. Feh. Yeah. that's a perfect perfect word for i i read this i look at it new chief chaplain at harvard and atheist Feh. yeah just Feh. Yeah, get rid of it that's right just get rid of it. no but it's an interesting conversation i, I it's a microcosm of i think real what's going quick on our real quick because i know our time is expiring but uh, this caught my eye, Chris. Texas school shooting. We know what happened. Yeah, we've been praying for them. Yes, it's Uvalde. A, a, hor- a horrible situation. But out of a horrible situation, somebody came up with a, at least an idea to discuss. And the question is, could the Israeli school security methods serve as a model for U.S. schools? Mm-hmm. You know, years ago, years ago, in the in the early 60s, there was a terrorist act where they were taking school children in in Israel to a field trip, and a terrorist came and you know shot them, uh, and it was pretty easy to do. And as a result of that, if you go to Israel today and you see a field uh, trip for Israeli students, you'll see, and they're usually parents, one in the front, one in the back, and they're armed. Mm-hmm. I mean, visibly armed. There are other methods that they have, and in fact, this article, which uh, appeared in Fox News, this was their website, uh, talks about the various uh, things that Israel has done uh, so that there's only been, in the history of Israel, six incidents. Uh, They still have happened, but you know terrorist things that once they uh, think they have opportunity, they'll keep trying. Well, uh, so for Texas, uh, for schools to think maybe we ought to contact Israelis and see what they say, and there are a number of different things this is no different, too, than, you know, in the early days when terrorism became a serious issue here, especially when it came to flying. And, you know, we, we were looking to uh, United States was looking to Israel for how they managed, you know, their um, the equivalent of their homeland security, how they managed all of that. As and well. in Israel, they have cameras set up. They have fences set up. 
you have to go through a metal detector. Yep. They even have one of their security systems was around the school, you only walk one direction into the entrance. If somebody is walking the other direction, they have people who are volunteers who monitor the school. They automatically know that person should not be going to that school. I also think in that article it had mentioned that they do a lot of behavioral they uh, do. Um, um, observations, and they act upon those behavioral observations. Yeah, we're not allowed to do that here. No, because <laughs> they, of the Constitution. You can't, it, it, you can't arrest somebody for the way that they're acting. You it, know, that, Correct. You can't even stop them. Yeah. Uh, but in Israel, they do that. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they basically they do that. So and I'm I think that's what they're looking at. Checking it out. Yeah, I'm that's right. They're checking it out. All right. Well, gentlemen, well, it we is have time. a special guest who's going to tell us what the word of the day is. The Yiddish word of the day, Bruce, is Shlamil. Shlamil. All right. All right. Shlamil. It's one of my favorites. What does Shlamil mean, <laughs> Bruce? <laughs> sh- <laughs> well, I've experienced it. I've been a Shlamil. Okay. It's a person that. Just is so awkward, and he does, he trips over every little thing. We don't want a schlemiel to deliver our food as a waiter, right? Exactly. The schlemiel spills the soup on the schlemazel. Ah! <laughs> so that's the difference between the schlemiel and the schlemazel. Okay, so we were talking about this as we were getting ready for the show for the Yiddish word of the day, and um, we have a great schlemiel story because we do these conferences at Friends of Israel, and we had a rabbi um, who came to speak. And, you know, sometimes the rabbi's last names can be hard um, to, to pronounce. And we had this amazing Christian man get up and, uh, you know, can you please, please pray for this rabbi and, and all the work that he's doing in Israel and this, that, and the other. And um, I'll pray, I'll pray. And this is in front of hundreds of people. And Steve and I are sitting in the back where the soundboard is. And this amazing man gets up and he just says, I'd like to pray um um, for Rabbi Shlemiel. <laughs> Is Thank that, God most of the people did not know. <laughs> they didn't know the difference. That's right. But, you know, he called him, a, a, essentially he said Rabbi Klutz. You yes. know? <laughs> That's what a Shlemiel is. That's right. Well, you know, how can we tie in Shlemiel with today, Steve? Is there a link or are we just choosing well, a word? Well, I'll tell you this. If you're alive in the millennial kingdom. Okay, here we go. <laughs> okay. And you're you are not following the law that the Lord Jesus, who is on the throne, who's given the law, which is perfect, and if you had not heeded the warnings, you're nothing but a schlemiel. <laughs> That's you're a schlemiel. That's right. Especially if you trip on the way to the altar. That's right, it's, with the schlemazel. With, well, you you spill the blood on the schlemazel. Wait, what's the schlemazel? That means the person who has all the bad luck. Oh, the schlemazel is the person with the bad luck. Yes. And the, sh- the, the schlemiel That's because he's hanging around the schlemiel. Yeah, so the schlemiel the sh- is spilling soup and whatnot he's on the, the schlemazel. on the schlemazel. Oh, that's, that so is contagious. So, yeah, it's, it's, it is it, contagious. That's so good. We're contagious. That's right. Well, hey, you know what? We hope this podcast is contagious to you and you keep listening to it. I want to thank our very, very special guests, Keegan and Bruce. Thanks for being with us today. Thank, thank you. you. It was a lot of fun. We discussed a lot of great things. Steve, great show. Hey, we did a lot of planning for this. We told them five minutes before they were coming on. I know. We did not plan to. I was sitting there (laughs) rushing to get this done. But I'm so glad it worked out. Hey, everybody, fresh reminder. 
uh, the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip, which means this. You need to go to foiequip.org right now. Don't waste time. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on your tablet. You can do it on your computer. Get there, foiequip.org, and register for Lorna Lorna Simcox. She's coming. you got to hear this, people. Again, that's foiequip.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next week. God bless.